This is the process.ink. This is The Process. I'm Tom Benedek, and I'm here at United Talent Agency with television agent Ben Jacobson. And we're going to talk about life in general, what agents do, and uh, how to get ahead in, uh, in the entertainment industry. So how are you, Ben? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great. It's great to have you. Thanks for, for doing this. And you're, you're a, how long have you been at UTA? I've been at UTA over 11 years now. 11 years? Yeah. And what's, like, this week now, what do you, what do you, what's your job? What do you, what do you do in a week? And well, this, this week is Comic-Con, so it's a little bit of a disjointed week. A lot of people are down in San Diego for Comic-Con. For those people that don't know what Comic-Con is, uh, it's a massive, massive convention that has gone on for, I think, a couple of decades, which started out just as comic books primarily, and then slowly but surely the television networks and executives and the major studios and the film business realized that there was this this fan base that was loyal to the comic books and were showing up to these things and decided to capitalize on it. And so it's turned into this total shit show of a convention and uh, all of Hollywood essentially has taken over. So there are a lot of panels there where, you know, the creators and the stars of the of the series that are that are on the air right now, you know, the fans get to interact directly with them, which is which is really cool. It's, you know, you, you as an agent, you spend so much time in your office putting projects together, selling projects, negotiating deals and to go down there and experience the the people that actually watch these things get excited and fill convention halls and have questions and interact with the the people who actually create and star it's pretty it's it's pretty cool so a lot of agents have to go down there to be with their clients and so it's a little bit quiet this week but this week in general you know whether it's next week or the week after that we're right in the middle of network selling season so a lot of it is you know, putting together projects and trying to get it out into the marketplace, specifically for broadcast, but also for cable. And so network selling season started like right after staffing season ended and after the upfront, after the, the upfronts in May, then staffing season and then selling season for new shows to the networks. Yeah, so so staffing season coincides obviously with upfronts. Usually staffing season's over within a couple of weeks. Of, of when upfronts are over, and then there's a little bit of a of a break that people take, and so you know probably starting mid June, mid to late June is when people really start to ramp up their development for for network specifically. The town shuts down for July 4th every single year, and then post July 4th things really start to get up and running. But each year the network selling cycle has has started later and later. There are a number of reasons for that, but you know it used to be that once July 4th hit, people would be into studios and networks pitching. And now, you know, we're starting to see studio meetings, which happened before network meetings, taking place, you know, first, second, third weeks of August and selling into, you know, October, November, where before, if you weren't into the networks by, you know, early September, you weren't going to sell something. And so there, there's like, they sell, they, they're like 120 pilots scripts that get commissioned during this time? Is it that many? or It's it's not that many. It used to be, I remember about five years ago, ABC Drama, they, they ended up buying, I want to say, 95 to 100 scripts that they developed and ultimately turned into, I want to say, 
like 14 shot pilots and then that turned into probably seven or eight series. Um, and that was three years ago? That was like five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah. And now they can't buy enough. Uh, last year they went into the, to the development season wanting to buy 60 plus uh, scripts on the drama side and I think they only ended up buying 40 something. And that's not just specific to ABC. Those are just the numbers for ABC. But that's just that's you know essentially across the board at all broadcast because so many like there are so many different issues going into it. But essentially, less people want to work in broadcast than ever before. More people are working than other ever before, especially on the drama side. You know, so these people have projects already set up or they're staffed. Uh, in the cable space, and so they're not available to actually develop based on the contracts that they have and based on the timing of their specific projects. So the networks are having a really difficult time incentivizing people to come develop with them. And it used to be that they were they would pay so much more than you know HBO, where you could go make a quarter of a million or three, four hundred thousand dollars selling a blind script to ABC. You could go to HBO, sell a project there, but you were only going to get paid $75,000. So the prevailing wisdom was, at the very most, instead of, you know, instead of selling two projects to broadcast, you would sell one project to broadcast and one project to cable, so that at least you could make your nut for the year. And that's what people... Now, now the- it's, it's, it's very different. Now, you know, if you look at what people are watching on television, and especially writers, most people are watching cable or digital streaming uh, platforms. And so I think that when people are getting excited about you know, their own development and what types of shows they would want to create and, if, and you know, in success stick with for you know, three, four, five, six, seven years, you know, it's, it's cable. Plus, on top of that, the process of developing for cable is, in theory, you know, less network and studio notes, you know, going through kind of the, the sausage maker of, of you know, the, the, that process. And then on top of that, you're making, you're producing fewer episodes over a longer period of time. So you can actually spend more time crafting something that is better, mm-hmm. th- in theory, obviously. And so I just think that... that Creators are just having a hard time getting excited about, you know, the the series that they're programming on broadcast because nobody's n- nobody's watching it. Like, pe- you know, the the network audience is dwindling at a at a crazy rate right now. And are the networks paying less money than they were paying before? Or they're still paying the same amount of money. They're still paying the same amount of money. But and, the- and if you look at and if you look at the the potential upside for the back end and the, and the profits that these shows make broadcast still really is the one place where you can have the incredible upside unless it's a you know breaking bad or sopranos or one of these you know breakout hits in the cable space mm-hmm. you know chances are that you're probably not going to make you know any if not much money in the back end. I mean, if you look at Walking Dead, for example, there's a lawsuit going on where AMC is claiming that the show isn't in profits. It's the most successful television show on on the air right now, and certainly in cable. And they're claiming that that the show's not profitable. So the profit participants, the people that created the show, outside of obviously the in-house studio for AMC, they've seen no money outside of the fa- outside of the uh, you know initial fees that they're getting for for their services. And so the talent is really going where their creative muse is taking them rather than saying, I'm going to, you know, let's stick with it. Let's stick with network because that's the upside there is a little clearer. Yeah. I mean, I think I think some of it's based in, you know, people wanting to explore their art uh, uh-huh. and create something without limits. 
which is, I think, the the perception of of you know developing in cable. You know, but I think I think there's probably a little bit of writer shaming going on. That's a theory that I have that nobody wants to be the uncool kid who who goes and works on NCIS LA or develops the next procedural for CBS because it's not cool. I mean, it's cool to make you know, hundreds of millions of dollars when the thing syndicates and sells well internationally. But from a from a creative standpoint, it, it I don't think people are excited about telling their writer buddies that they want to go create the next, you know, uh, NCIS. So we're t- you're talking about clients who you have who are in the agency or you have who you would who you think you would like to see sort of diversifying and, and going to sending stuff to the network and they're they're really not it's not in their head to try and figure that out i don't i don't really have an agenda one way or the other i i want you know for me it really comes from an idea whether it's a, a book or a format or something like that whatever mm-hmm. it is or it's an original idea really it's about where can it live in the purest form for mm-hmm. that particular idea yeah. instead of trying to jam everything into yeah. one box or the other some people a lot of people try to bastardize the you know the the idea itself and turn it into something that's right for broadcast or yeah. or for cable for me i don't really i don't really care uh, the idea dictates where it ends up, and then from there you start to put the project together. And, and but there is a possibility of sort of nuancing something. Oh, this could work at ABC Family if we sort of shape it a little bit differently, or this could work at mm-hmm. you know, FX if we dial up certain you know dial up certain aspects. That probably isn't the same show no, we're talking about. It's very different. Uh, I think I think there used to be a lot more of that because the cable brands were so specific. FX was doing a certain thing which was very different from what USA was doing, right? That's not to say that you couldn't take a version of Burn Notice, which, Mm -hmm. you know, ended up being a smash hit for USA, and turning that into what's the FX version of that, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people would go out and pitch the various kind of, you know, tonally different versions of the the show, make it more procedural or more serialized or grittier and more grounded or elevated and heightened Right, like it would just mm-hmm. you would you would try to shift it, but now because there are so many buyers that kind of overlap in the type of content that they're doing. Mm-hmm. If you look at Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, Stars, etc., you know you could you theoretically you could sell the same pitch pitched in the exact same way to all of those networks, and they would all want that thing. It would have to be right in the sweet spot of what all those places want, but but in theory that's possible. Whereas, you know, a decade ago, especially or even five years ago, the brands were so vastly different that you couldn't do that. And now they're not thinking as much or at all about oh scheduling and where will this show fit in with everything else that's on the schedule. So mm-hmm. that that context really mattered for what they were doing in terms of the strategy. Now it's just. We need a great show to promote, and if it's there, people will DVR it and they'll watch it. And it doesn't matter so much schedule-wise. Right. That's right. Doesn't doesn't matter much schedule-wise. I think I think what matters more than schedule-wise really is brand-wise. You know, mm-hmm. I think that if you look at Fox, for example, not that it's a cable network, but at, you know, with Empire being this breakout success, they try to capitalize on you know what is that. What is that thing that made Empire successful? Was it the music mm-hmm. aspect? Was it the diversity aspect? You know, was it the soap aspect? Yeah. And so, of course, they think to themselves, well, shit, we've got this smash hit. 
if we can capture this same audience on whatever's next, you know, of course we should pursue that. So, of course, they, they started calling all the agencies and asking, what kind of soap do you have with diversity and, you know, maybe even some sort of musical element, uh -huh. right? And so I think uh, it's a very kind of, you know, simplified version and example, but I think that if you look at, you know, whether it's Showtime or FX or whatever it is, you know, they're they're trying to build out whatever that brand is. And a lot of these networks, when they're created, don't have a brand. So, you know, you look at like WGN, for example, where they picked up their first series with Salem. And, you know, Salem is a big genre thing, and maybe they would become the genre thing. And and then they, they, they programmed, un, uh, not Underground, but... Uh, Outsiders. Uh, uh, Manhattan. Manhattan. Which was the period Manhattan Project, which nobody watched, right? The ratings were terribly low. While, while creatively, the reviews were actually pretty positive. And then they put on Outsiders, and then they put on Underground. So... Uh, and, and both of which were, you know, relative successes and, you know, obviously not doing the same number as a show like Walking Dead or even remotely close to it, but for, but for that network, they were successes. And so that starts to define what that network is. And so then they try and find things which will somehow f have some relationship That's to right. that, but it can extend out to, to something a little bit different. I mean, if they saw a comedy, a wild comedy that they just liked, they might order that too yeah I mean I think a lot of a lot of these a lot of these cable networks that are starting out tend to focus on drama more than they do comedy just because drama sells better internationally and so the upside there is much greater comedy is obviously much harder it's it's a you know much more fickle thing uh, and doesn't sell as well internationally so the upside isn't isn't there uh, in a lot of cases so and what about half-hour drama versus one-hour drama mm -hmm. are there half there are a few half-hour dramas now yeah I mean if you know if you look at although it was just canceled but if you look at like togetherness for example on yes. HBO I love that show yeah, um, and that show at times was some of the most heartbreaking agonizing you know character drama but it just so happened to be in a 30-minute format so there's more of that happening I mean, if you look at casual on Hulu or Catastrophe, you know, while that's really funny, they're dealing with, you know, incredibly real. Dramatic stories, yeah. 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 And so the opportunity is more in the dramatic show, and, and the, the, these, the, like, it used to be that the networks would say, we're at the beginning of the selling season, we're looking for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and that message would go out to writers and then at the, by the end of the season that was completely turned around that's right it's, that still exists right if you look at um i still remember a, a few years ago sci-fi the network this is uh, you know five six seven eight years ago something like that they they put out a list of things they wouldn't do right on that list was you know post-apocalyptic they wouldn't do zombies they wouldn't do x y and z and while they didn't program it, AMC ended up programming Walking Dead, and that and that checked off almost every single box of what they wouldn't want to do ever. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next year, it totally flipped. It's like we'll do post-apocalyptic, we'll do zombies if it's different than Walking Dead. You know, we'll do vampires and whatever. So I think every year, people start out with this kind of idea of what they want their brand to be and then mm -hmm. somebody walks in something that's entirely different from that and it's incredible and they buy it and it becomes different like i, I don't th there are there are messages that are 
you know, communicated to the agencies as far as how to focus their clients on their particular network. And agent or uh, clients ask about that quite frequently. And we tell them to look at it and then forget everything they saw because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And most of the people you're sending out for these pitches, they're, they're working on, they've sold pilots before, they're, they're on staff, on shows. What's the general background of the people that, that's... I think what you're seeing these days is that all of the people, you know, young people grow up and want to create something, right? And it used to be they wanted to be a painter, or they wanted to write a novel, or they wanted to write an indie film. And all of those wonderful creative you know, juices out there, I think are now naturally gravitating towards television. And so, you know, what you're seeing is that you're seeing, first of all, more and more people than ever wanting to do television, whether they're existing, you know, filmmakers or, you know, up and coming people that just want to break into the business. So the, com- the competition is, is becoming increasingly, you know, insane. But you know, what that means is that you're having, you know, that your talent pool is so much bigger and the people that are coming into it, the the bar is so much higher. So as far as the types of people that are developing now, you know, it's it's all types, whether it's a, a cool Sundance filmmaker, you know, who, who got some indie film that they made for a million dollars and people watched it and thought it was really special and great. And, you know, HBO will want to be in business with that person because they want to be on the, the cutting edge of the new voices that are out there. And that person will be at a premium for, for that particular network. You know, whereas, you know, a CBS, for example, they really want to be in business with tried and true showrunners and people that have developed multiple times. So you're finding playwrights coming in from, you know, New York that are migrating over into television. That's something that started happening, you know, years ago and is now kind of, you know, become a, a full thing. You're seeing, you know, filmmakers developing in television for the first time. You're seeing young writers who have never staffed or developed you know, sell pitches and and find success. I wouldn't encourage that. But, you know, at the same time, it's just, there's no real rule anymore. It used to be you would go on staff and you were supposed to sit on staff for, you know, a few years at the very least, gain some experience, you know, learn the, the craft of, you know, hopefully running a show so that, you know, when you're a supervising producer or a co-EP or an EP on a show, you can go off, create your own show and run it yourself. And that, that philosophy is so out of date now. So that hierarchy of moving through those classifications, it still exists in, you know, TNT and CBS and those places, but in the cable realm, it's, it's, it still exists it's much to more a, fluid. It still exists to a certain extent, and and what happens with with agents is a lot of clients see some some people go off and create shows who have never developed before, who are of lower stature than they are, and they say, well, why can't I go do that? The big problem with not getting that real experience and just going off and selling a project is if you're fortunate enough. To, to actually have it produced, the likelihood is that they're going to bring somebody in and they're going to bring somebody in over you to run your show for you and you'll be relegated to the to the bench, so to speak. And that happens in a lot of cases. I mean, if you look at the opposite is true only only very infrequently. If you could like look at Mr. Robot, for example, where Sam Esmail was an independent filmmaker and yes. had never developed in television, you know, he sold this this spec to to USA and UCP and you know, they recognized that he was a true 
you know, auteur and filmmaker and he had a singular vision and he was going to produce this his way and he had a, a, a grasp of how that was going to happen. They let him run with it. But in most cases, they say, this is how television is made. You don't know how to do that. There are, there are a thousand decisions that you have to make every day and, and you need somebody in there who knows what the hell they're doing. So you typically, like, yes, all bets are off. You can do whatever you want. You can develop at any level, but there are real pros and cons in success, especially. In failure, you get paid to write the script and then the script dies and goes away and you get your money and you think to yourself, well, why wouldn't I have done that sooner? But really where you know the downside becomes apparent is, is if it actually works. And so uh, someone who hasn't been in the you know, series hierarchy as mm -hmm. a writer, what are the, they don't necessarily have to have a showrunner behind them when they go in and pitch to, the, to a network or, or to a, you know, a channel. I think it depends. I think it depends on on the networks that you're trying to sell to. It depends on the relationships that you have. It depends on, you know, your viability in your particular, you know, I guess field. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a writer performer and you you work out of UCB or or maybe you're a stand-up in New York and, you know, you, you you've achieved a little bit of success, you know, touring clubs and whatever, and Comedy Central knows who you are, and IFC knows who you are, and, you know, maybe a, an executive at Netflix is a big fan or something like that, then sure, you can walk in something with, you know, without any real experience, and they'll probably want to buy something from you because they believe in your voice, but if you're some, if you're somebody coming off the street, if you're, you know, a recent SC film grad, or, you know, you're just somebody with a good idea, you know, there's there's no way for you to really penetrate the marketplace unless you have something that elevates it, whether it's a book property that is, you know, uh, zeitgeisty, if it's a relationship with a showrunner uh, who would attach themselves, a director, a producer, you know, so, or, or just an agent who has real access. But even then, with just an agent, it's just it's becoming so competitive and tough out there. And and most people are going to pitches. Do you go into pitch with your clients, or I I don't. I never have. I mean, I know uh, if you look at CAA, for example, you know, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to send an agent to every single pitch. And if you were the ABC covering agent or the NBC covering agent, you went to every single NBC pitch that any CAA client pitched. And I, for me personally, I think it's unnerving for both the the seller and the buyer. Like what you, you contribute essentially nothing. You certainly formalize the situation, which in a lot of cases is great, but for, for me, I've never felt a need to insert myself into the creative process like that. And man, bringing, the managers will go, I mean, it's sort of like a, the, 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 the writer may have a team, some sort of team with him, a manager mm -hmm. who's also a producer Correct. on the show, or the, you're saying the filmmaker or showrunner, so they would all go to the pitch meeting? Yeah. And if there's, you know, what's what you're seeing more and more of are, you know, if you're pitching an idea based on a, you know, a skip tracer or a procedural based on the life of a skip tracer, you'll find an actual skip tracer mm -hmm. uh, who hunts down people who have disappeared themselves mm -hmm. and they'll be in the pitch with you. Right, lending credibility and telling stories about you know real life cases. So you know you'll have whatever configuration of people that are necessary to sell it and make it compelling. And how many people on the other? How many people on the executive side will be in there generally? Like two or three. 
It depends. Sometimes it's just one. Sometimes there's, you know, three, four, five, six. You know, it depends on the structure of the of the network. And the nature of those creative executives, are they? How hierarchical is it? And are there is there leeway in terms of the executive? Are there executives at a network? Who are more likely to champion a certain, you know, get a certain kind of pitch yes. than oh, another absolutely. person, and you can strategize. Let's go see this person instead of that person. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, like, a, a good example would be, I don't know, uh, Netflix, right? Where Netflix, it used to be that they only had a couple of executives, and now they've got more executives than probably any other network because they have, I think, they have almost 60 series in development, original series at this point. Um, wow. They're not talking about that, but and it's only going to get bigger, especially you know with the the local language stuff that they're that they're starting to do internationally. But there are so many executives there, and all of these executives have come from somewhere because Netflix has only been around for you know four or five years, especially in the original programming space, where you'll know an executive for the past. 10, 15, 20 years, and so their personal brand is almost as important as the Netflix brand itself because Netflix doesn't really have a brand other than doing great programming. So, yes, so personality, individual personality plays into the overall strategy of, you know, who you bring a pitch to or a, or a spec pilot. And how much preparation do you do with the with the client before they bring it in? It, that varies how much uh, you will have... It, it depends. I mean, it really depends on who the client is, what they want from you. You know, uh, I think that if you're a veteran showrunner who's sold 20 pitches in their life, I don't really need to get involved with it. I want to know what the what the idea is, and I want to talk through it, and we'll talk general strategy of how we're going to get it out there. But if you're a first-time developer or uh, an inexperienced producer with a developer and you're unsure about how to craft this pitch, you know, I'll, I'll be involved from a three-sentence logline of the general world uh, into a you know paragraph, into a page, into a couple pages, into a pitch, into a you know five-minute pitch, into a fifteen-minute pitch. I'll be involved as much as I have to be in order to ensure that the project is at the very least received in the best way possible for for what it is. And you might hear it as a full-blown pitch that takes 15 minutes to present mm -hmm. initially, or you might hear it as a concept and then discuss it in the person world? I don't really want to hear it when it's full-blown. I don't want somebody to say, I've, I've been working on this for three months, uh, going back and forth and working tirelessly on this thing. Uh, they walk into the building, sit down, and pitch the thing that nobody wants to buy and I've known that all along, and we try to, to steer clients away from doing that because there's nobody that understands the marketplace better than agents. We, we have more access to more information, and we know what sells. And so if somebody walks in and you know, says, I've got this great idea for a show set in the 1970s New York world of the music industry, <laughs> right? And they say, you know, I really want to, like, this is HBO, and it's got that, like, HBO and Showtime written all over it. And I've got, you know, Van Halen attached, uh, right, as some sort of, you know, non-writing producer. And you know that vinyl's been in development for, yeah. you know, three years, uh, or however long it took to develop that project with Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger and Terrence Winter. And, like, you can then 
you know, tell them don't don't do that particular thing because you're never going to sell it because this thing exists that will be on the air in, you know, three months, six months, whatever it might be. I I liked uh, Final. You know, I know I know they canceled it, and you know, I, knew, I was patient with it because it was very repetitive. What did you think of that I, show? I didn't love it. I didn't love it. I mean, I think I think it's I think it was. Um, it was beautifully directed. It was finely acted. I think for me, for me, it felt really self-indulgent. And then on top of that, the stakes were so low that I just didn't like. I didn't care if Led Zeppelin left. I didn't care if they didn't get the, you know, the hot new artist. Like the stakes were, the stakes were totally unimportant to me. Yeah, the, they had a, they had a problem with the stories, spinning the stories, which it all comes down to, eventually. Is mm-hmm. how, you know what are the story? You know the the long-term arcs were belabored mm-hmm. and you know it's like is he going to take an, is he going to put something more in his nose and you know how is this going to go roll with his wife and it was it was very diffuse but yeah. I, I like the musical interludes mm-hmm. I like I liked what they did with the music and I like little things about it I like James Jagger it just I, I like Juno Temple there were little things about it that I liked so I, I enjoyed it more than other things but I think because Generationally, that the, just the interpretations of the music always—it just satisfied me. So, but I understand that it really wasn't working as a series in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think I think for me, uh, if it were a few years ago, I may have been patient and stuck with it. But there's just so much good stuff on TV right now that if it doesn't take after a couple episodes for me, I'm I'm not going to stick with it. Like I'm, I want as an agent, I want to understand you know, what it is that people are watching and what they're talking about so I can have an opinion about it and I understand the thing. But as a fan of television which with only limited amount of time to spend watching TV, if it doesn't take after a couple episodes, I'm going to move on to the next thing. So that's an interesting thing to understand from your perspective. So you, you'll, you have to cover, you have to know, so every show or more, most shows, a show like uh, Outsiders. Do you mm-hmm. watch, have you watched all of Outsiders? I have not. I, I read the pilot script, so I I know the the general concept of it, and I want to I want to be able to talk to clients about if they want to direct an episode, or if they want to staff on the show. Is this something qualitatively I think is good outside of what it does for them strategically with their career? So I try to have a point of view on at the very least those things that people are talking about. Mm-hmm. So if you hadn't read the pilot, you would have watched the pilot or watched yeah. two, two episodes or just if you liked it two episodes or if, if it piqued if, your interest yeah i think i think i'll try to read the script if i don't have time to read the script i'll i'll try to watch the pilot and and if i like it enough to want to watch the second episode i'll watch the second episode and if it doesn't catch me by then i'll, I'll move on so two episodes and then we move on so i, I think people feel people hear about shows that are that other people love and people in the real out in the world people talk about shows and if they really like them and they tell you about them you end up feeling this obliga- obligation like that you're supposed to like it or you're supposed to try sure. it but you know i mean you can't and i think people you know it's it, and 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 in most cases i think that i agree with people and that i at the very least recognize the quality of the thing and it might not necessarily be something that i'm into but you know like master of none for example that's a show that that's the Aziz Ansari netflix series yeah. people really loved it and the um, the reviews have been incredible and the awards recognition has been incredible but i watched it and i didn't i didn't like it 
I just didn't I just didn't like what it what it was. And so I mean obviously comedy is much more subjective, but yeah, I mean I think I think word of mouth now has become so much more important and so much more powerful because of social media and and the ability for people to, you know, watch all episodes of a show in one day and yeah. say, I watched this thing. It was great. You're a fool if you don't watch it, right? And if enough people say that in your in your Facebook news feed, you think to yourself, okay, maybe there's something to it. And if nobody's talking about it, and it's and it's not mentioned anywhere, at least in your peer group, you're probably thinking to yourself, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, say I wish I was on the bubble with a certain show that someone will say they love, and if I watch it and it doesn't engage me, there's no way I'm going to spend. 15 hours no way. with it it's you know you have to really feel it and welcome it and want to track everything and just and so that's you know but that's the great thing about it that there's so many things so what are you what are your favorite shows that are on right now what do you what do you look forward to I think Game of Thrones is I mean it's I think it might go down as one of the greatest television shows in the history of television I mean obviously people talk about Sopranos or The Wire or Breaking Bad you know but for me I'm not even a fantasy or a comic book or a genre nerd, but the complexity of the storytelling, the production value, the acting, like the directing is so far beyond anything else, the spectacle of it that I've ever seen on television, that it's the one thing where every week I get together with my friends and I watch I watch the show when it's when it's on the air. Obviously, it's a long time between seasons, but I think for for my money, that's the best show on television. Uh, period. Um, Stranger Things, which is the new Netflix series, which is kind of like the Spielberg Stephen King throwback a series that just premiered. I want to say Friday of last yeah, week. Yeah, I just noticed it on on the feed. It's really special. Like it's it's really it's really excellent. And so that's kind of the the, the next thing uh, that I, I think is going to probably break through for, for people, for the Duffer Brothers who created that show and directed it. That's something that I think is really special and will be zeitgeisty. I'm watching Casual on Hulu. I'm, I watched the premiere of Vice Principals on HBO. You know, there, there's just so much stuff. I'm like, you know, I want to watch Night Of on HBO and I haven't had the time to to start that. I watched the first season of Bloodline. I thought Bloodline was probably my favorite series, you know, during the first season and I've been meaning to start the second season and just haven't had time to do it. So, there's just so much of it and there's there's going to be even more than there is now. And what kind of things are <clears throat> if you could if there are trends, what are they in terms of the kinds of programming that, you know, the cable channels are are moving toward or that you're hearing that they're interested in, even if that might change yeah. in six months? I, th- um, I think that what you're looking at is you're looking at two different trends. You're looking at one trend in comedy, you're looking at one trend in drama. I think in comedy, you, you're looking at voice-driven comedies. And a lot of it has to do with writer-performers. So, you know, Aziz Ansari is a perfect example of that, Master of None. It's really just the show about his point of view and the world, you know, whether that skews more towards dating in New York or, you know, dating within the millennial generation, or there's Louis C.K. doing Louis on FX, or Amy Schumer doing Inside Amy on Comedy Central. I think what you're seeing is that a lot of these, you know, comedies that are resonating out there are really driven by a singular voice. I think the day of, you know, 
the or the age of you know kind of somebody just telling a, a good sitcom and you know some some white guy telling this funny you know s- stories about you know roommates like that 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 age is is going you know going away so I think in the comedy space it's really going to be you know writer performer voice driven and then on the drama side one trend that is happening is that people are moving a little bit away from period you know I think that most networks are finding that period is expensive that the ratings are typically lower on on period shows than they are on shows that are set in present day I think they don't sell as well internationally so I think there's there's a trend to move away from that I think that genre you know whether it's grounded sci-fi or horror I think horror is going to be the next the next big thing you know if you can find a way to crack into the you know the horror film world where people show up every Friday night to to get the shit scared out of them even on you know movies that have low production value don't cost mm-hmm. very much if you can have them show up every Friday night you know on Fox or on FX or you know Netflix you know that's going to be that's going to be incredibly lucrative so i think that's another genre i think you're looking at soaps are always always you know being sold and bought out there and generally i think that people are just looking for they're really looking for an exploration of subcultures and sub you know sub worlds i guess you know uh, the underbelly of xyz mm-hmm. And as far as serialized and soaps, mm-hmm. what do you, what are your reference points for that? And there's Empire, and then what else is there? I think you look at the, all the Shonda Rhimes shows. There's there's a procedural element to Scandal or How to Get Away with Murder or Grey's Anatomy. I think Grey's Anatomy is probably one of the biggest you know success stories as far as the soap is concerned. Where there there's the medical franchise, obviously at the the core of what it is, but that show's been on the air for. I want to say 11 seasons at this point and mm-hmm. the ratings have actually gone up over the past few years from from a little bit of a crater so I think they've they've really figured out how to program soaps I think you know NBC hasn't really you know CW obviously has their their version of soaps mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the the genre version which is like vampire diaries or it's the comedic version which is my crazy ex-girlfriend what's the What's the other one? I'm blanking. Anyway, whatever. Gossip Girl? Uh, no, not Gossip Girl. They did Gossip Girl anyway. So I think that, that that there are certain networks that have a strong soap brand. And that by soap, you're saying that those are shows where there are character stories which are going to extend. Where half the, half of each show is dedicated to stories which may not resolve, where there are things that are just going to keep going on and on, and where, where people are... We'll, we'll have to track it in progression in order to know what's going on. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I guess you could call it a relationship drama. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say togetherness. You know, yeah. which I which I talked about earlier. Like that's that's a soap to a certain extent. Yeah, because it's really just about these you know four people yeah. as they navigate their their way through relationships in this world and you know some really dramatic moments. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a, that's a, those are good. That's an interesting. <clears throat> perspective and looking at how how those shows can what's going on in the future who are your clients I mean what's your like wh- who do you who do you work with here what's what do you you know my clients are I would say I'm probably 60 40 drama comedy I think that's probably just a reflection of 
of the marketplace. You know, I was I came up under two very comedy skewing agents. And so I think I always thought that I was going to skew more towards comedy. That was Jay, Jay, <clears throat> Jay, Gaz, Jay Gasner and Matt Rice. And so this was back when Jay Gasner was in the lit department and is now the head of the talent department. So, but as soon as I became an agent on my own, I found it my I found out that my tastes gravitated a little bit more towards the the drama world, and that seemed to pay off a little bit because television in general kind of migrated more towards, towards dramatic. But I represent you know writers, producers, directors, you know across the board. So uh, I'd say. I'd say it's probably 80% writers and 20% directors and, you know, a few, a handful of producers, you know, scattered in there. And the producers are doing what, I mean, how do the producers function within the, this world? I mean, what's their, you know, are they straight TV producers or feature producers as well? Or? Well, it, it depends. I mean, I think if you look at, like I represent escape artists. Escape artists is Jason Blumenthal and Todd Black. Mm -hmm. um, they're the producers behind, most recently on the film side, they did uh, Southpaw, which was the Kurt Sutter, Jake Gyllenhaal boxing movie. Mm -hmm. They did Equalizer. They do most of Denzel's movies. They've done a couple of comedies, but they're more known for kind of the, the bigger, grittier dramas. And they were feature producers only who had a deal on the feature side at Sony. And they sat down with us and we pursued signing them and we ended up representing them uh, starting a couple years ago. And the first thing that we did was go out to the various studios and introduce them to um, you know, several studios in, in the hopes of, at the very least, selling projects to them, but at the very most, you know, creating some sort of pod deal at these studios. And we found that the, the response was overwhelmingly positive because they're excellent feature producers who have great relationships with both feature and television you know, writers and creators and, and filmmakers. And so they also had you know, book properties and they have a book scout and they have you know, access to material that adds value to those studios. So in exchange for you know, the exclusivity, you know, they have access to the studios you know, funds in order to acquire you know, properties. Uh, they also typically get some sort of overhead whether it's you know to pay for their offices or to to hire an executive and assistants and all the rest of that stuff and provide the infrastructure, so we ended up making a first look deal at FX for Escape Artists, and now they've got you know multiple projects set up not only at FX but also uh, outside that network. And so they would because they're in a pod there, they have to take it to FX first, and if FX isn't interested, then they can go somewhere else. And Correct. FX doesn't. Does FX still own no. any part of it? So it's just in, it's a, in, that's a network first look. If it's a studio first look, it works a little bit differently. Every deals some some every deal is a little bit different. Some are fully exclusive. Some are first looks. Some are you know network only. If you look at like Scott Free, for example, their their deal is for network. At CBS Studios, it's a first look only. If it's a cable idea, they don't have to take it to CBS Studios first. So you can get creative with how you structure the deals for these producers so that they have the flexibility and freedom that they want and need in order to sell wherever they want, but at the same time, you know, get to tap into this, the, the resources of the studio. And the, the, the advantage of, they also theoretically building relationships with, that are stronger with the people at their home studio or there's a, a rapport mm -hmm. that, that worked there for them. And But it's not a financing arrangement. 
that they're going to help finance it with the network or the channel that puts the show on the air? Typically, no. I mean, I think that if you look at some of the independent production companies, they're moving in that direction, you know, where they can operate seamlessly as both a producer and a studio. I think that if you look at, like, more Mark Gordon company, you know, they they have the ability, they have a relationship with E1, the studio, so they have the ability to be a studio themselves and deficit finance television programming, or if they don't want to, or the networks don't want them to, they can take a step back and, and, and be just producers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think what you're finding is that there are, there are a lot of people that want to penetrate the television world now from a, from a financier standpoint. And so people are willing to be more creative with, you know, the partnerships and people that they get in business with, whether that's international or domestic money. And so it's it's a very optimistic environment in terms of the finances and the possibilities of being shows being profitable ultimately. I think I think people are being a little overly optimistic right now. I think that you know if you look at the Netflix business model, where you know the way that it works at Netflix is that you sell a project to them and they own international distribution. And in in exchange for that, they offer you some sort of buyout, uh, a back-end buyout, because your back-end's never going to be worth anything or almost never going to be worth anything. Mm -hmm. Um, The financial upside just doesn't exist there. So if you're a producer, you know, or anybody, frankly, for that matter, and you're trying to create something that will be a home run, those, those destinations where that exists are growing fewer and fewer and as Netflix programs more and becomes one of the prime destinations for selling, Mm -hmm. um, there is significantly less upside in creating your own television show. You're going to hit a lot of singles. Creatively, you may get to do some things that you're more excited about, but from a purely financial standpoint, you're really working for fees. So your, your, your episodic series fees. And the idea that if you do the first seat, you, you, you're paid sort of low, you know, H, lower wages mm-hmm. for the first season, then in the next season, is it all, next seasons, is it all locked in to certain levels, or is there a way that you can get a better payoff from, Tip, from that? Typically what you're going to see is you're going to see a two-year deal for most show creators. You know, you'll have a, a script fee, you know, this is if it's a, just a pitch, you'll have a script fee, you'll have some sort of pilot producing fee, and then at the very least you'll have a year one and year two series fees mm-hmm. uh, put in place, at which point after a couple of seasons you would probably have a pretty strong indicator or indication of a show being a success or not. And so, you know, if a show is Game of Thrones, for example, and after two seasons it's this wild success, then theoretically you as the agent are going to go into this to the to the network or studio and make a new deal at a significantly higher rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then part of that may be, you know, renegotiating some of the the you know the bullet points of the initial deal. So you'll mm-hmm. go in and re- renegotiate the back end and and the you know the value and meaningfulness of that. And so you know, and then you can negotiate bonuses and, you know, there, there are a lot of ways that you can get creative in success after the initial deal. It's all good when you have a hit. That's right. What about verticals and, you know, the awesomeness TV kind of places? Do, mm-hmm. you, do you touch on that stuff where you know, people are on YouTube or, you know, the shows that are going on the air that are 
off the channels and networks? To a certain extent, you know, I have a director right now who's directing a, you know, a straight to series order for YouTube Red. And so I negotiated a deal for, for him to do that series. You know, uh, as far as awesomeness, I have, you know, a couple of clients working, you know, on their their shows. I think that the the financial upside of of these kind of purely digital you know, outlets, short form content. I think the financial upside is, you know, not there yet. I think as soon as they figure out a way to, to truly incentivize, you know, A level creators, then, you know, we'll probably start to do more and more business. That said, our agency as a whole uh, has an incredible digital practice, the probably the best in, in the agency business, where, you know, we represent the top social media stars, whether it's, you know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Vine, etc. And it's really about how do you take those, those, those people, those creators, and, you know, uh, maximize their potential across all platforms, whether it's traditional TV or film, or, you know, how do you take, you know, an established movie star, like, I don't know, we represent Johnny Depp, and build out his, you know, his digital media presence so that, you know, his Instagram is well curated, uh, and he's he's being paid X number of money, you know amount of dollars to do some sort of Snapchat activation. So it all kind of seamlessly works together. The different departments within the agency, but as far as as far as awesomeness TV being, you know, an end destination for you know in the same way that HBO might be or Showtime or you know uh, a broadcast. It's not quite there yet because the financials aren't there yet. But there, but we have a ton of clients. We obviously we represent awesomeness, and we have a ton of you know a ton of our creators that work with them. So it just depends on who the client is. And so that's it's just like a lower budget kind of operation in terms for in terms of the way people are employed there. And but in, in terms of the creative, <clears throat> how does it fit in creatively with what's on the other channels? And there's sort of like this. People see see the YouTube kinds of shows and the web shows kind of differently. Mm-hmm. I've been looking at them a little bit more carefully now, and what I'm seeing is, like, well, how, how how long is it going to take before there the craftsmanship and certain aspects of it are not going to be rise up in certain in some shows, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be just like. The, uh, I think it already is to a certain extent. I think technology certainly has become much less expensive, and so the production value of these of these you know digital series is is incredibly high. Whereas it used to be cost prohibitive for people to go and make that type of you know spend that type of time and money to create something, knowing that the upside wasn't possibly there. I just think I think that that kind of quality gap has been. Bridge, but of course, you're talking about you know a different type of creator that that's creating for a different type of audience that can pay a certain amount to actors and writers and you know everybody from the DP down to you know whoever, and so you're going to attract a certain type of talent you know to that place as you would mm-hmm. uh, to to I guess the big boys, and I think that in a lot of cases those people you know. It's already been bridged to a certain extent, mm-hmm. where somebody creates something of quality online, and it it exists and lives and thrives, and then they they make the jump to more traditional media. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably going to continue to happen. 
Yeah, you have High Maintenance, which is going on HBO, which is on Vimeo, and then mm -hmm. you have Issa Rae, who's going on HBO, yep. and that's sort of like, those are paragon examples mm -hmm. of YouTube you know, web shows that or, really, or, or Lonely, workaholics guys. Lonely Island, workaholics, yeah. etc. Yeah. And as, as far as like the, the YouTube, act, you know, these YouTube personalities mm -hmm. and their chops in terms of storytelling, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they're, they're brilliant, at, or Bo Burnham, who's brilliant at what he does and at his kind of storytelling, mm -hmm. but how does that, where's that going in terms of, is that going to start influencing or has it already started to influence regular, you know, the cable channels and, and the networks in some ways, or is it just is well, it a I don't, part? I don't, I mean, I think that, yeah, of course there's going to be some sort of influence, especially when they're trying to target, you know, that particular demographic. But this year at the upfronts, the, the ad sales were up double, double digits. You know, I think that, that when all is said and done, there's going to be inc an increase of, you know, 12%, maybe more in ad buys for, for broadcast network. And that's while fewer and fewer people are, are watching television, especially broadcast. I think that, that the effectiveness of, of broadcast in getting you know, marketing and advertising eyeballs out there, like there's, there's no better way to, to, to broadcast something as widely as they do on those specific networks. So I think as far as their overall strategy, certainly they're going to look very smart if they're incorporating how, how these digital stars are tapping into that, that marketplace. But I think you know, for, what, for what it is that they're trying to promote and sell, whether it's scandal or breaking bad or whatever it might be, that's only gonna be one aspect of a multifaceted approach. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Tell me what else. What haven't we talked about? Tell me something else. You're going up to Portland this weekend. I'm going up to family? Portland this weekend. I'm, I'm going to go visit my uh, my family. I, I got engaged two weeks ago. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. Um, after four four years of torturing my girlfriend, I finally uh, asked her to marry me, and so. Wow! Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Had, so she has she been? Did she like? Was she waiting for you to do that, or she? You know, did you have her? I think she wouldn't say that she was waiting. I think she was definitely waiting, but uh, I was able, able to throw her off my scent, and uh, and I surprised her. So you know, it all worked out. So. And how did you did you make the proposal an event, or did you no, just do it very not, casually? Very casually. We were in uh, Costa Rica on vacation. We had been there for a couple of days, and I had successfully avoided uh, customs from you know sorting through my crap and, and exposing me and so it was just you know quiet moment uh one night and i got down on one knee and said some nice things or at least as many things as i could say before she cut me off and she said yes well that's an event yeah that's, it was great that's you know Custer, that sounds like a very idyllic always memorable way it was to to do that so it was beautiful so, and when's the wedding gonna don't know Okay. Don't know. We're trying to we're trying to take a, a little bit of a moment to just enjoy the engagement, but inevitably everybody asks when's the wedding. So at some point we're gonna have to. When are you gonna have kids? <laughs> Hopefully soon. That that for me is like a wedding is is a wonderful celebration, but it's also a pain in the ass to plan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really excited to start a family. So. Oh, that's great. And so you, you bring her up here to see your family for the yeah. first time? No, so. no, no. They've, they've no, but since you're, it's different now. Yes. Yes, it is very different. All right. 
Well, congratulations again. Have a great weekend. Thank and you. Thanks so much. This is incredibly informative. I really appreciate, again, you sitting down with me and, and talking about all this stuff. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. And that's it for now. If you would like a PDF transcript of today's show or want to check out our schedule, you can get it all and more at theprocess.ink. And of course, we're on iTunes and all those other good places. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Benedict.